Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Canada, and together we are on a mission to reach people who are far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. In today's episode, Pastor Nathan brings you part two of his message series, A Better Way. And today's message is called Beyond Too Busy. Do you ever feel like there's more things to do in life than actual time to do it? Well, you're not alone. We live in a culture where everyone is overloaded and rushing from one thing to the next. What if there's a different way to live? What if Jesus can teach us a better way to live and to love? Well, that's what we're going to find out right now as Pastor Nathan brings us part two of his series, Beyond Too Busy. Hey, um, when I was a, a junior youth at youth group, I remember... Uh, one of the youth leaders giving me this little bracelet for my wrist. Some of you remember these. The bracelet had four letters on it. WWJD. And I remember looking and I go, what's that all about? And of course he explained it to our little group of boys. And he said, uh, this stands for what would Jesus do? I don't have one anymore, but it was pretty cool at the time. Uh, most of my friends at school didn't know what those letters meant. Now it's a little more common uh, language. But at the time, I wore this bracelet, and our youth leader kind of sat us down as a little group and said, Okay, guys, here's the thing. When you get mad and you feel like cursing and swearing, I want you to look down at that bracelet and ask yourself this question. What would Jesus do? Hey, when your parents are driving you nuts and you feel like telling them where to go, look down at that bracelet and ask yourself the question. What would Jesus do? So this was, this was somewhat helpful. Boys, if you ever find yourself alone with a girl and things start going in a direction you shouldn't go, I want you to look down at that bracelet and ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? And uh, this was was helpful at the time uh, for me as a kid to think through like, okay. And really what the bracelet was, was a reminder to do the right thing, a reminder to do the moral thing. And that's not bad. That's not bad. Um, If I had one now, it would be, what would Jessica do? I have to ask myself that question all the time. Especially when I'm looking for stuff. I'm like, where? What would Jess? Oh, she'd put it over there. Now, the bracelet was helpful because it was helpful to remind you to live a moral life. It was helpful to ask the question, okay, what is the appropriate response in this situation? Where I think the bracelet fell short was in this. That all it was was a reminder to do the right thing. But it didn't necessarily give you the power to do the right thing. And it didn't answer every question. So, like, when you go to the polls tomorrow... You look down at your bracelet, and you go, what would Jesus do? I have no idea. I have no idea uh, who he would vote for. So it doesn't answer all the questions, and it's particularly just about doing the right thing, but it doesn't give you the power um, to do the right thing. So what we're talking about is last week we kicked off a three-week message series called A Better Way, and we began with this question. Okay, The question was this, do you ever feel like Christianity isn't working? And there's a lot of reasons for that. So maybe you've, you've been in church or you're new to church, but you're trying to live the Christian life. You're trying to do the right things. You're trying to live the way of Jesus. And you find yourself struggling and failing at times and floundering around and going, this, this, isn't, this isn't working for me. Or maybe you're here today and you're checking out church. You're checking out your Christian friends. And you're looking to the future and you're going, I don't know if this works. So I don't know if I really want to step towards Christianity because I don't know that it works, okay? So we're asking this question, does it ever feel like Christianity isn't working? And last week I reframed this to say, perhaps it's not Christianity that isn't working, but the way we're trying to do Christianity that isn't working. Because if you do it the wrong way, 
It doesn't work. I, I said this last week that the, for the disciples, Christianity wasn't a set of beliefs. It wasn't a doctrinal statement. Uh, for the disciples, Christianity wasn't a form of worship. It wasn't pipe organs and stained glass. And it wasn't moving lights, electric guitars. It wasn't a form of worship. It wasn't a rigid set of doctrines even. For the disciples, Christianity was following Jesus. It was a person. It was personal. And they sought to emulate and live their lives the way that Jesus did. So they're watching Jesus and they're emulating him. Not just going, what would he do? But also asking the question, why would he do that? And and so it was personal. It was relational. And and so what we turn to is we turn to Matthew 11, which is the core passage for this three-week series. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And it says this. It says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. If you find yourself tired, burned out, fried, trying to do all the right things, Jesus says, I will give you rest. He continues to say this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So Jesus is like, I want you to take my yoke and learn from me. We'll talk about what that is in just a second. And then next he says this. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Last week we said this, that every single person is longing and looking for rest for their souls. A satisfaction, a peace inside, regardless of the situation they're in. Jesus promises all of this when we come and work with him. He finishes by saying this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I got this little image that I showed last week and and then we're going to move on. This is a yoke. This is a yoke of oxen. A yoke is a piece of farm equipment that allows you to attach two animals together so that they work in tandem. That means they're pulling together. I shared this story last week about how when I worked at a ranch as a teenager, there were two uh, Belgium draft horses. One of them was old and wise and mature, and the other one was young and learning. And what happened was the older one would just stand there calmly while all the kids were jumping on and off the hay wagon, you know, squealing as they do. And the, the older horse was just standing there calm and peaceful, and the younger horse is flashing its eyes and prancing around doesn't know and over time the young horse will learn from the older wiser horse how to work and how to relax and jesus invites us to work with him jesus does not promise us that if we come to him he will fix our problems he does not say come to me and i'll take care of everything do you know what he says he says come to me and work with me learn from me and i will give you i will give you rest That's a beautiful promise and it's a beautiful image. So today, what I want to focus on, last week we talked about doing stuff for Jesus is the wrong way to think about it. We're doing it with Jesus. That's very different. Today, what I want to talk about is the pace. Okay, I want to talk about the pace of Jesus. I remember the first time I learned what this word meant, this idea of pace. It was in grade eight. And I had uh, made the uh, track and field team for my grade school. I was pretty excited. High jump. I wasn't very good, but I was the best that we had. So I got to go to the regionals. And I, had no, I made the first jump, and then after that, I just watched everyone else jump over the bar. I didn't care. I was there. But there was one guy in our class who was tall and skinny, and he could run. And we were excited because we thought to ourselves, that guy's going to win a gold medal for our region. So me and the other students from our team were all in the bleachers watching as my friend got into the starting blocks for the 800-meter race. And when the gun went off, he took off like a flash. And around the first corner, I mean, they're only 200 meters in the race. He's already got a nice lead. Uh, By the time they're 600 meters into the race, he's got to be 30, 40 feet ahead of the pack. And we're just like, yes, gold medal, world record. Like, we're just like, this is amazing. And as he turned the last corner, as you might imagine, uh, his, his brisk run turned to a jog and then to a walk. 
And he was holding his side. He had a cramp or something. And we watched as all the other racers passed him right before the finish line. And our gym teacher turned to us and said, he didn't pace himself. He didn't pace himself. You guys have heard of this, right? If you're running, you have to run at a sustainable pace for the length of distance that you're going to to run at. Well, we live in a culture and a world that wants to set the pace for our lives. Have you noticed this? We live in a, in, a, in a world where the pace of life is often way faster than it ought to be. We are, as a culture, too stressed. We're too busy. We're too frazzled. We're moving too, too fast. We like fast food, instant coffee, express shipping, high-speed internet. Need I go on? In fact, in our culture, we actually celebrate busyness. You ask somebody how they're doing, what do they say? Busy. Say, oh, really? How busy? Oh, slammed. I'm so busy. I haven't seen my family in a month. It's like, wow. And, and we wear our busyness like a badge. It's like, look. Because in one sense, when we're busy, it makes us feel like we're important. Right? We're getting stuff done. We're being productive. And that's good. But how busy is too busy? We wear it. We're like, oh, busy, busy, busy. But our culture pushes us to be more and more busy. Always on. Always available. Always connected. These things, man, just keep us connected to the world constantly. And this isn't just true of our culture. It's actually true of church. I grew up in church, as many of you know. And over the years in church, I've watched a lot of churches burn people out, volunteers, staff, basically anybody. And, and, it's, and, it's, and I hope that's not true of us, although it probably is at times. But the reason why we get busy at church and we burn ourselves out at church is because we're trying to do stuff for Jesus instead of with him. And we try to do too much. We try to go at a pace that is unsustainable for us, for our families, and for our ministry. So how busy is too busy? As we try to live the Christian life, we often exceed the pace of Jesus. Which is silly. Can you imagine how silly it would be for following Jesus and we're constantly running ahead of him? <laughs> Looking over our shoulder. Jesus, where are we going next? He's like, well, just wait and I'll show you the way. Yeah, but I want to get there ahead of you. And I'll be honest with you, this is something that I struggle with. Like... Um, there's some sermons where I feel confident that like I've got this kind of figured out and I'm, I'm making headway. But this busyness, this hurriedness is a problem for me. I will often get to a restaurant or a store with my family and I get out of the van and I'm halfway into the store and I look over my shoulder and my family are still undoing their seatbelts. And, and I'm just like, I'm like hitting the lock button on the door trying to get their attention, right? It's like, come on, guys, we got shopping to do. And as quickly as we get in there, I'm trying to get out of there, right? Because I want to get to the next thing. In fact, this Wednesday, I was at home because all my kids are in school now. And I was sitting at home working on my sermon for like three hours. I'm pouring over and making notes for this message. And at one point, I thought, man, I'm getting stiff in this chair. I'm gonna, I should go for a walk around the block just to stretch out my legs, get some fresh air. So I get up and I call my dog, my little black dog named Charlie. And I, he's sitting on the couch. And I'm like, Charlie, you want to go for a walk? And I shake his leash. Well, he jumps off the couch. And then stares at me while he begins his stretching routine. 30, 40 seconds. I'm not kidding. Downward dog, this leg, that leg. I'm jiggling. I'm like, come on, Charlie. Let's go. Let's go. And he's just looking at me like, you need to stretch before your exercise, Nathan. Uh, this is why you're always getting hurt. You have no time to stretch. And he's just doing his thing. And as I'm going out the door, I felt like kicking him because he made me wait so long. And I thought, I'm, I'm trying to write a sermon on not hurrying. And I'm mad at my dog for stretching. It was a casual walk. I don't think he pulled anything. Um, I do. I have a problem with this. So I'm, I'm working on patience. And my family will tell you that, that this is not something that I have achieved. But it's something I'm working on. Uh, psychology Today 
um, defines a term that I hadn't heard about until this week as I was studying. And the term is hurry sickness. Have you heard about this? Hurry sickness. And here's how a hurry sickness is defined. Okay. And don't worry, we're going to do a test to find out if you're suffering from it in just a second. A behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency, of urgency. So it's just like, got to get to the next thing, always rushed, always stressed, always in a hurry. So I thought it would be fun to do a little survey. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read a statement. And if this is, if this is actually usually true of you, you just can put both hands up. So this is like an affirmative. Yes. If it's sometimes you like you struggle with it, but not all the time, it's one hand. And if it's not you, then you can just leave your hands down. Is that cool? So definitely me, sometimes me, not me. Okay, you guys ready? We're going to do this at home. You can put your hands up or you can put a little fire emoji or something in the, in the chat to let us know that you're with us here. So, hurry. Here's a statement. You never seem to have enough time to get things done. Let's see a show of hands. Okay, I see some hands going up. Okay, a bunch of hands going up. Okay, that is one sign that you're suffering from hurry sickness. Uh, have a hard time waiting for the elevator to close. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting, I hate that. I usually reach for that little door close button to try to shave off a half a second. It's awful. Especially now with COVID. I'm like, I know I shouldn't be pushing buttons for no reason, but. Um, you analyze all the lines at the supermarket before choosing one, looking for the fastest line. I'm putting two hands up for that. Now, here's, now this would be three hands if you had three arms. Once you've chosen a line, you continue to monitor the progress of all the other lines <laughs> to see where you would have been. All right, yeah. You get bonus points for that one. Um, you have a hard time focusing on one thing without becoming distracted. That's me sometimes, for sure. Um, you drive over the speed limit regularly and often pass cars just to make a point. <laughs> you get bonus points if you're the kind of person that passes a car right before you exit the highway. it's like why that doesn't make sense um you're constantly trying to do more than one thing at a time so we call this multitasking but here's the problem if you are multitasking and you're so busy multitasking you forget one of the tasks put up your hands (laughs) all right here's some bonus points if you have checked your email text or social media since this sermon began just lower your head in shame. <laughs> just do that. <laughs> it's crazy. We just have to be connected. We have to be, we just have to get to the next thing. We can't be unhurried. Uh, I think we hurry because, guys, frankly, there's so much to do, isn't there? I mean, life is busy. There's so much to do. I made a little list of things. Like, there's work. So there's all the stuff you got to do at work. And then when you check out of work and you come home, then there's all the home stuff. There's groceries. There's yard work. There's shopping. There's another birthday party. How is there so many birthday parties? Then you have haircuts. You have oil change. You got to put your winter tires on. By the way, that's a reminder. Winter is coming. Anyway, sorry, guys. Uh, there, you got to do the laundry. You got to pay the bills. You got to check social media. You have to say happy birthday to a whole bunch of people you haven't seen in 20 years. But it's the thing to do. And then, and then you got to clean out, purge the storage room. That's important. And then you got to go shopping and buy stuff that will end up in the storage room. Um, Then there's Netflix. Your friend told you about this, this amazing series that you need to watch. And uh, you don't want to be, you know, disconnected at the water cooler. There's uh, Little League and, you know, on and on. So there's, you guys get the idea. There's so much stuff to do. It's no wonder we're in a hurry. And I want to turn back to the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. In all our busyness, it is hard to find rest for our souls. Because we are so busy and we have no margin and space in our lives, we find ourselves uh, panicking, we find ourselves rushing, we find ourselves constantly in a hurry. And there's a clue here in this text, if you can throw that back up for me. If we're finding our lives in the pace that we're at is not producing this. If we're doing stuff for Jesus instead of with him, it will not produce this. And that should be an indication to us that we're not doing it the right way. And so what I want to do is I want us to consider Jesus. Because that's what we're doing. Through this three-week series, we're going, okay, let's look at the way we're doing life in Christianity. And let's look at the way Jesus lived. And so here's, here's an interesting point. Jesus was busy. Did you know that? Jesus was busy. Uh, Think about all the things that Jesus did. In just over three years, Jesus preached to an entire nation of people without the internet, without CDs or cassette tapes. He preached to an entire nation of people without the use of speakers and this nice little microphone that I have. He he spoke loudly. He traveled from place to place by foot. He went across an entire nation. And while he was doing it, he constantly kept the will of his father. He trained his 12 disciples and like 70 disciples. And then there were all these crowds that were constantly following him. He healed the sick. He opened the blind eyes. He fed the multitudes. He performed miracles. He taught all over the place. And and then ultimately what Jesus would do would be to lay his life down to save all of humanity. (laughs) Uh, Jesus was busy. During his three years, he fulfilled over 350 prophecies in the Old Testament. That's pretty good. Jesus was a busy guy. He wasn't lazy by any stretch. But here's something that's so interesting about Jesus. Jesus was busy, but Jesus never once ran. This this really jumped out at me. Jesus never ran. Now, maybe he actually ran, but there's no, there's, there's no, um, there's no story in the New Testament where we see Jesus in a rush. Jesus never once ran. He walked. Even when it, he should have ran, when people were coming to kill him, he walked. When people were coming to hear from him, he walked. When people needed him, he walked. He just, he moved at a particular pace. There is a Japanese theologian. His name is on the cover of this book that I want to show you. His name is Kosuke Koyama. I hope I'm saying that right. But he wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God. And I saw that and I thought, that's an incredible name. And the reason why he says God is a three mile an hour God is because that is the speed of a casual walk. And you know, different religions around the world have their physical, so there's the spiritual thing and then there's the physical art. So like if you go to uh, countries like, um, if you go where they practice like Hinduism, they have um, yoga, you know, and they do all the stretch. So it's like the physical act that connects with their spiritual worship. For the Christian church, for, for those of us who follow Jesus, it's walking, right? In the opening scene of the Bible, it says that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And then Jesus comes to earth, the very uh, revealed person of God, and he walks among his people. And so the speed of God is this three mile an hour. I just love that. Jesus was busy, but Jesus was never, ever, ever in a hurry. And here's a question. If Jesus wasn't in a rush, why are we? Why are you? Why am I in such a rush if Jesus never did? There's an incredible story in Mark 5. You can go and read it this week. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus is is doing his thing, and a man by the name of Jairus comes to him. And some of you know the story. Jairus says to Jesus, he says, hey, Jesus, would you please come? My daughter is dying. And any father or any mother who has a child who's who's sick would do anything. And he comes and says, Jesus, would you please come? And Jesus says, of course I'll come. And Jesus begins 
walking. He doesn't jump on a horse and gallop towards Jairus' house. He walks in that direction. And while he's going, if you read the chapter, while he's going, the crowds are all pushing up against Jesus. He's trying to move through the crowds. And a woman touches the hem of his garment. She's been sick for 12 years and she's instantly healed. And Jesus stops. He's not in a hurry. He's like, who touched me? And the disciples say, Jesus, everyone's touching you. How could you say that? He says, no, no, I felt power go out of me. And so he turns and begins having a conversation with this woman about her healing and her faith. This is incredible. But then while he's casually taking his time, Jairus' servants come and they're like, don't trouble the master any longer. Your daughter is dead. Jesus does panic. He's like, I'm still coming. And if you know the story, Jesus goes to the house and raises her from the dead. No big deal, right? He just didn't rush. It's incredible because I am constantly in a rush. So there's something that needs to change in me. Here's a question. What if the greatest enemy to the life you want is the life you're living? Sometimes we want a certain thing. We want relationships and we want space and we want peace and we want all these things in our life. But the stuff that's in our life is crowding it all out. I like to, to say it this way that it's like, um, it's like your storage room. Your calendar is a lot like your storage room. It will fill up. And unless we prioritize the most important things first, there will never be any time left for them, right? So if we don't prioritize the things that matter most, there will be no time left for the things that are most important. So what I want to do with the bit of time that we have left today is I want us to consider the way of Jesus. Now, there's so much we could say about Jesus and the way he used his time and the pace that he moved at, but I want to focus on two things that I think are ultra important for us. Uh, The first is this, and I think if we get this one right, all the other stuff starts to fall into line. It's this, that we ought to begin with the rest. I want to hang out here for a minute. Begin with the rest. Jesus did ministry. Um, He lived for 33 years. He waited till his 30th year to get started. That's interesting to me. I mean, why didn't he start earlier? I don't know. And then um, when Jesus actually goes down to the river and John the Baptist baptizes him, it says the spirit descended upon Jesus and and there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If that was me, if I were Jesus, I would start my preaching ministry right there at the river. Hey everybody, I got some things to say. But Jesus, the way he starts his ministry is by spending 40 days in the wilderness alone. So to, to come back to my racing analogy at the beginning of the message, um, that's what we call slow off the blocks. Jesus is in no rush to get going. And he moves at a pace and yet somehow accomplishes everything that he needs to accomplish. So when I think about rest, I uh, read a book recently uh, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I don't know if some of you may have read it. It's a, it's a relatively recent book, but it's a fantastic book that dives into this subject. And when we think about rest, for the ancient Israelites, they would use the word Sabbath or Shabbat. And the word Sabbath was all about rest. But unfortunately, and this was one of the issues that Jesus had with the religious people, is that they they made Sabbath all about the rules and restrictions of things not to do instead of the enjoyment of rest in God that it was intended to be. And what's so interesting about this is that the way that we think about rest is very different than the way that the ancient Jews used to think about rest. We think about rest in this way, that we work, and then when we're tired and we have no more energy, we rest. That, that sounds logical, right? This is the way the world works. But God actually flips this whole thing around and says this, that we rest so that we can work. 
And for years, I always figured that my day started when I woke up, you know, as if the world revolves around me. It's like, I, oh, it's 7 o'clock, the alarm goes off, you climb out of bed and you're like, oh, a new day is beginning. But for the Jewish people, the day actually began at sundown. The day began the evening before. And so think about this. If the day begins when you go to sleep, not when you wake up, then guess what you're technically doing first? Resting. So... It's 10 o'clock, it's 9 o'clock, whatever it is, and I'm going to go to bed. And as I'm laying down on my pillow, I got all kind of worried about my kids. I'm worried about work. I'm worried about, you know, how my relationship with my wife. I got all these things going on. And I'm going to lay down my head and say, God, I'm beginning a new day and I'm going to begin by sleeping. I'm going to begin by trusting you to take care of the stuff that I can't deal with right now. And it actually begins with an exercise in faith. This is probably why so many of us have a hard time sleeping. <laughs> Because there's so much going on and we're so fixated on trying to fix it that we miss the beauty of the Sabbath rest. Our inability to rest, this this is so convicting to me, our inability to rest is a reflection of our belief about who is getting the important work done. When I'm tossing and turning at night because there's something important that I have to handle, um, this is a reminder to me that I really think I'm doing it on my own. Right? We talked about this last week. You, you're amazing what kind of loads you can pull when you're in a yoke with Jesus. And he invites us to trust him. He invites us to move at his pace and to rest with him. One of the things that I've been doing differently uh, since I've come back from my sabbatical, which was a season of rest for me. One of the things I've been doing differently is um, whenever I start getting stressed, and I do get stressed, and there are things that come up. And so, there are some weeks when, you know... It's Thursday, and I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be off on Friday, off my day off, and, and I, my sermon isn't done, so I end up having to work on my day off, and, I'm, and there's all kinds of decisions to make, and meetings, and all this stuff. So I got all this stuff going, just like you have all your stuff going on. And so I'm, and when my blood starts to boil, and I start to get tense inside, you know that feeling like I'm overwhelmed, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. So when I start to feel that, what I used to do was work harder. What I used to do was just stay later and work through supper. What I used to do is just sit with my family in the evening and keep working in my mind. So I'm, I'm with my family, but I'm not actually present with my family because I'm still working. And one of the things that I've been doing differently since I've been back is that when, the first instance when I start to feel that tension. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when you feel that? It's just like, oh my gosh, there's more than I can handle. Oh my, how am I going to get that done? Oh, how am I getting out of this? And you start feeling it. The moment I f- start feeling the tension, I do the absolute opposite thing I used to do. I rest. I'll have a hundred things be overloaded and I'll say, you know what? I'm just going to close the door. I'm going to get down on my knees and just spend 15 minutes quietly with God. It's so counterintuitive. There's so much to do. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop. And I'm not suggesting to you that, um, that stopping when I should be working or I feel like I should be working has fixed everything, but it's changed the internal landscape of my heart. And it's often a reset of priorities. It's like, oh yeah, what I have to do next, all this work and stress that I'm under, um, I'm not doing it alone and I'm not carrying it alone. I know as a parent, it's so easy to, uh, to worry about your kids, um, especially if you have teenagers, very easy to worry about them. Um, I guess you still worry about your adult children too, right? Get a couple nods from some people in the crowd. But there's this tendency to want to, uh, to, want to keep working and fixing and helping and doing there's something so powerful about we're being reminded that we're to rest in God. And, and, and so if, if we could do nothing else as individuals and as a church, 
Introducing Sabbath rest into our week would change everything. Um, It's crazy to think about, um, but a Sabbath, according to Scripture, is supposed to be this, this day when you can sleep in, eat a great meal with the people you love, leave the dishes on the counter, read a book, play a board game, make love, go for a walk, pet your dog. Do things that, that give you life and fill you up. Spend time in a relationship. That, that's the idea of Sabbath. It's not a rigid sit and do nothing and pray all day. It's, it's where we take time to enjoy what God has given us and to stop from our striving. And it's a way to remind ourselves that, hey, the world doesn't stop spinning because I stop working. In fact, the opposite is true. When I stop working, God moves into that space. So it's, it's this idea of entering into the yoke with him. So we need to begin with rest. If there was nothing else that you could take away from this message today, just, just begin to think about how you can begin your day with rest, how you can begin with rest. And the second thing that Jesus did so well, he began with rest. The crowds needed him and he would be off praying with his father. But the second thing he did was prioritize relationship. And by the way, if we're not rested, this, this will rarely ever happen well. But prioritizing relationship is so, so important in our lives. And Jesus did this better than anybody. It seems like whenever someone needed him or needed to talk to him, he would stop and give them his time. Even if it was a little child, he would stop and give them his attention. You can't do that when you're rushed. You can't do that when you're not rested. I heard a preacher say, the best use of life is love. The best use of life is love. So if you're wondering, how do I use my life? How do I use my time and money? Love is the answer. I've never met anybody who on their deathbed said, I need more money. I've never met anybody on their deathbed said, bring all my trophies from home and put them around my bed so I can look at them as I die. Nobody says that. What do we want? We want to see the friends and family and people we love. We want to make a difference. Love is the answer to the question of life. And the best expression of love, this is so important, is time. Time. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. One of the ways we show people love is by listening. Well, you, that takes time. It takes patience. You can't be in a hurry and a rush and truly listen to somebody. So the best use of life is love. And, and the best expression of love is time. I think this is important. It's hard to be happy or helpful when you're in a hurry. I read about a really interesting study this week. I'll share with you the sort of Cole's Notes version. Um, It was a social psychology experiment called Jerusalem to Jericho. Maybe some of you have heard about this. In 1973, they set up a bunch of seminarian students who were training for ministry. And they took half the group and they said, we want you to write a sermon about the Good Samaritan. Which is a story all about helping someone in need. And stopping when it's inconvenient to help someone and love someone who's in need. And then the other half of the group, they said, okay, you guys just write a sermon about whatever. Money, something else. So you got these two groups of students. And so the the experiment was going to be this. Okay, which group is going to be more likely to help somebody? And so when all these students came back to present their message, they had a little trick up their sleeve. They said, the place that they came to do the presentation, they said, oh, it's been moved to a building over there. And so they had to go through an alley to get to the building. And in the alley was somebody who was desperately in need. Oh, you know, groaning in pain, laying in the alley. And all of these students who'd prepare messages were going to have to basically walk right past someone who's a desperate need to get to their message. So they did another trick. As these students came in, they're redirecting them one at a time past the, the person who needs help. And they added one more criteria. 
Some of the students, they told them they were late and had to get over there in a hurry. So they added a hurry condition. And some of the students, they told them that they were in plenty of time and they didn't have to rush. Now, you might be able to imagine what the results of this little experiment were. Uh, Here's the significant numbers. People who were given the low hurry condition, they weren't in a rush. 63% of the students stopped to help the person in need. But the high hurry condition, the people who were told they were in a rush, only 10% stopped to offer help. This is so important because we think that if we read enough verses about loving and helping other people, we'll just do it. But the truth is, if we're in too much of a hurry, we won't do it anyways. Right? If we don't have margin and space to love our neighbors, our kids, our friends, our spouse, we won't love our neighbors. It doesn't matter what your theology is if you don't have time. And all of us go, I want to attend church. I want to eat meals with my family. I want to have time for friends. I want to be able to take an entire day off and not have to do anything. But I can't. But I can't. There's not enough time and the truth is that we have time for the things we make time for and if we don't make time we won't do the things that we know we need to do so as I wrap up I'm going to invite Carolyn to come back uh, we're going to close and we're going to pray and I've got a few announcements but I want to look one last time at the words of Jesus and uh, he says this take my yoke upon you And learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. In 1 Corinthians 13. um, Paul writes these words. These are so convicting to me. As somebody who struggles with patience. As somebody who struggles with being in a hurry. He says this. Love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. We could just spend the whole week. Just thinking and chewing on that. Love is patient and kind. And while love is patient and, and love makes time for others, um, hurry, hurry doesn't have time, does it? So what I want to do is I want to uh, challenge you with a, a simple prayer that you can pray this week as you go about your week. And uh, it simply reads like this. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. This is a prayer that that begins to change something inside. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. And this only happens when we take time to rest, when we prioritize relationships over tasks. And instead of asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? Because often we know the answer, but it doesn't mean we're going to do it. Instead, we want to be reminded that we're working with him, that he is with us. And we can rest because we have him. And like that illustration I gave last week, we're like the young horse paired with the whole and we're just panicking about everything, about our lives, about our money, about our kids, about our work. And we look over and we see Jesus just standing so calmly going, I got this. And we enter into a rest because he's invited us. Come to me and I will give you rest. Next week we're going to focus in as we close out the series on living in the moment. It's amazing how we're constantly running from our past and running towards our future and rarely present in the current moment. Like our brains are there or there. 
But Jesus somehow was able to be in the moment, present with people at all times. So we're going to learn how to do that better. One last time, let's look at that prayer. Maybe we can read it together and then I'll, I'll pray for us. Let's read this together. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. Begins with rest, prioritizing relationship, and everything else will begin to fall into place. Father, thank you for every person in this room, every person watching online. We are so tempted to be rushed and hurried, to run through life in such a pace that we miss people, that we miss you. Lord, it is so easy for us to get caught in a cycle of work and stress and work and stress. We get addicted to it. But you've called us to come to you, to enter into your rest, to work at your pace. And Lord, I know that so many times I'm running ahead of you and I ask you to help me to walk slowly to experience you and love others well. So Lord, would you help us? Would your spirit guide us through this week? As we do this together in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, thanks Pastor Nate for that great message. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on all of our socials. Uh, our website, pathwaylife.com, facebook.com slash pathwaylife. And of course, Instagram at pathwaylifechurch. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.